Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host, Joe Milmine, and this is episode 118, British Wool, Sourcing and Labelling with Joy of the Knitting Goddess. I feel a need to laugh again with you, if that's alright. Hello, hello, and welcome into another episode of the show. How are you? I hope you're well since last time I was with you when we were talking about Far East adventures and the peculiarities of spending time in China. I know a lot of you enjoyed the fun aspects of that episode, in particular the baby bums, the baby bums sticking out all the time of the crotchless clothing and the weeing on the floor was a big favourite for a lot of you. I wouldn't say that my listeners are particularly puerile, but you did, a lot of you did enjoy that, which is awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed a little bit of a catch up and something a little bit more informal than usual and of as things have been of late. There's been lots of interesting discussions on the podcast, lots of great guests on the podcast recently, and I just thought, Maybe it was time for a little change of pace and something a little bit different because I know a lot of you have been following with interest and wanting to hear all about those adventures. So hopefully, hopefully that's good for you and you're happy with uh, that episode in particular. So this week I am super excited to have an interview with one of my absolute favourite dyers, Joy McMillan of The Knitting Goddess. Now this is an old interview in terms of it was recorded quite a few months ago, about this time last year actually, uh, or not far off this time last year, and it's been sitting in, in the vault waiting along with some others to be brought out and to share with you. Now Joy as I say is one of my favourite dyers has been since I very first got into hand-dyed yarn and I started off my my initial gateway drug with Joy was the uh, Terry Pratchett themed colourways way back in 2012, 12 I want to say maybe even earlier than that and I remember very clearly sending a skein of Whittlepoon's sock yarn, which was grey and white, to Claire Divine of Yarn and Pointy Sticks, and then Knit Share Love, as it is known now. And if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you'll be very familiar with Claire, and she was back on the show quite recently, um, catching up with her as well in a recent episode. The links for that will be in the show notes, but I think it was episode 112, maybe. And we were catching up with her then. But I sent her a skin of Joy's yarn um, when she was expecting her little one, Maeve. And I was busy waiting for Sammy to arrive as well. We were pregnant at the same time. And I sent her a kind of new mum present. Because everybody sends stuff for the baby. Like they all send all of the things for the baby. And you're the one who feels like you've been run over repeatedly by a bus. And you don't necessarily get anything. Like the baby gets all the good stuff. So it's like, no, you, let me send you some yarn. You know, it's a new mom present. And I sent her the Whittlepoon's yarn from that, from Joy. And she's actually been working with Joy and designing for Joy, as you heard in her interview, for three maybe years now. And they've been working together, working with Joy's yarns and Claire's designs on some uh, clubs. So it's funny how things come around, actually, to to what they do in the end. But I absolutely 
adore Joy's yarns. I've always liked them. I really like her Brit Sock base, um, which is a custom spun yarn for her. And I like Joy because she's just a no-nonsense kind of person. I love how you can have a conversation with her and talk about stuff and just she really is like what you see is what you get. And I really, really appreciate that about her. And of course, her yarns are lovely, which is a bonus. I normally I go for the person before the yarn. Like if I don't like a dyer, then I don't buy the yarn. Like I'm a, a person yarn buyer and I do, I really enjoy Joy. I think she's really smart and, and funny and witty and I love the stuff that she creates. So I'm super, super excited to have her on the show today and to bring this conversation to you. And it was one of those kind of unexpected conversations where we got on on the interview and started chatting and very quickly turned into um, a really interesting debate and conversation, intelligent conversation about where wool comes from, labelling and using local stuff and committing to buying local wool and working locally and how people's tastes change and how important it is that people at least you know if they're not committing to buying local necessarily that what they buy isn't mislabeled as something that it's not and I know Louise of Knit British and the ever wonderful Felix of Knit Sonic are, are very big um, advocates for clear labeling of products and I know a lot of you love to know it's not necessarily that you won't use yarn from somewhere else but you do at least want to have that informed opinion and you want to have that chance to make the choice at least and you're not being told that something is from a particular place like the old Appleby Farms thing that Tesco other supermarkets do the same thing and are available have going on where they they give the impression with the marketing that the yarn is or the product is from a certain place and actually is anything but and of course the requirements to label something as British when actually it's been spun in Turkey and the only thing they've done with it is put a label on in the UK but now that it's, it's, it's made in the UK. So it's important to a lot of us, especially those, those us that think hard about where we buy our yarn and, and you want to have that connection with a particular provider or you want to know that it's very local and low air miles or whatever it is, whatever the reason is for what you buy, you want that information. And this conversation talks about that kind of thing an awful lot, which I think is important. It's good for us to be having these conversations and to be thinking about it. And I really appreciate, you know, chewing the fat, having a conversation, working over these points with joy as someone who knows, you know, and done a lot of research on what she's talking about. It was a super enjoyable conversation for me as well. It's not only appreciating her as a person and her yarn, but to have this kind of level of conversation with her was really good fun and super interesting. So I hope you will enjoy it and I hope you'll get as much out of it as I did. And I know Joy enjoyed it, enjoyed recording it as well. There will be some, some editing going on because there was some time bound things in particular that were discussed in this episode. So there is going to be a little bit of editing more than you normally expect from an interview episode with me because I like to keep it as close to the how the conversation was uh, as possible with my editing because I, li- I don't like overly edited podcasts. So I, I try and keep it as close as I can. There will be a little bit of editing it, but I'm sure you will enjoy it just as much as any other episode. So grab your knitting and grab your brew. And whatever else you need to have to hand to listen to this episode and we shall crack on with the show. (laughs) 
So I am super excited to welcome Joy McMillan from the Knitting Goddess onto the show today because, and I'm going to fangirl you even though you sat there, um, Joy was one of the first dyers that I got into when I came back from South Africa and I was into my hand dyed yarn. Um, well, even when I was there, really, I was already ordering it and getting it sent to my in-laws in Sussex. Um, but she w- it was one of the first dyers um, that I really got into in a big way. And I absolutely loved her Terry Pratchett series. It was that far back. Literally, it was still alive <laughs> that far back. And I really enjoy her colours, the way she interprets things and also the direction she's gone in. Since then, um, in terms of bringing in a lot more British yarns and trying to bring everything as locally as possible. And I know she's going to have something cool to tell us about regarding that. That's a very new thing that's just come out this past weekend at Yarndale. So, Joy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and for that lovely, lovely introduction. It feels like I've known you for ages, which is nice. But I think it is actually ages though, Joy. It is a long time. Because when I was in Africa, that was six years ago when I left and came back four years ago, which is forever on the internet. It is, isn't it? So that's a good thing. Yeah, it's totally a good thing. It's dog years though, internet years. It's like every internet year is is like seven years, really. Or every real year is like seven internet years, that way around. Yeah. So in about another year, we're having a 50th anniversary. That's cool. We should celebrate that. We should. We should. Any excuse. You know me. Absolutely. Cool. So thank you for for coming on. I've been very excited to chat to you. And we almost got together last summer, I think it was, um, to to get you on the podcast. It's been a long time coming. So I'm super, super excited. But for those who don't know you, um, it's hard to believe that people don't um, at this stage because you have been around for a long time now um, and are really well known. But tell us a little bit about you and your background and about the Knitting Goddess. Okay. Well, We've been about for what feels like ages because I started the business just after Bobby and I got together and we've been together for 14 years now. And it started off as a complete hobby. I bought some yarn when we were out in the States and got it home and realised that I bought two radically different dye batches. So I bought some dyes and dyed one of them and decided it was fun and then dyed more and dyed more and We'd sold stuff on eBay in the days that eBay was really good fun. Mm -hmm. And lots of people sold on eBay. Um, And then we opened an online shop with the most terrible company called Mr. Sight. Mm -hmm. And it never worked. And it was forever doing really awful things. And it it would give people free postage and things. And it was just a bit naff. So we upgraded that. Um... And we've been through a couple of house moves. And most recently, when we moved up to Yorkshire, we are now very near a couple of big mills, um, mainly Laxton's. And we're also near the Scowlers in Bradford. And we we just really wanted to have all of our yarns be British. So before that, we were using a UK supplier, but the yarns were coming from all over. They were being spun out in Peru. And the ear miles and stuff was just silly and we wanted something that didn't have that and the really nice thing now is we can have that so the business has moved a lot from when we've started and yet these days everything that we put dye on it's both from UK flocks it's been processed and it's been spun in the UK and then it comes to us so it's properly British rather than British territory from halfway around the world And that matters 
because I think if you if you're saying it's British and it's British territory, actually you're ruling out loads and loads of great yarns just for the sort of territorial thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have Falkland yarn, then actually why wouldn't you have yarn from Germany or from Italy or from New Zealand? It's a kind of funny distinction that I struggle with a bit when people say, oh, it's British. And I think, well, why does it why does it matter? To, why is it OK to have one and, and not another? Mm-hmm. And I kind of can't get my head around why. You know, why is it OK to ship yarn from the Falklands, but not OK to ship yarn from New Zealand? So we wanted to kind of really say when we say it's British, what we mean is it's from the UK. And we want to do that because you know, fleece is bulky, heavy stuff. So shipping it halfway around the world is stupid. And there are you know, mills literally on my doorstep. And it's completely crazy to not use them. Which, sorry, is a complete rant about who we are and what we do. Um, but it's a big part of what we do now, that actually everything is pretty local. But I think that's important, you know, people need to know what, what you are and what you stand for. And, well, I mean, the, the Falkland species is going to come anyway, isn't it? Because they don't have a scouring plant. Um, but if you are, if you really do, the, the fact that things have to travel bothers you, then it, it doesn't just become a, a British issue, it becomes a, a distance issue. Um, yeah, you look, you look at that. Yeah, you look at the thing with the Falklands and the scouring plant and you think, actually, in terms of bulk and air miles or sort of sea miles or whatever it would create jobs over there to have a scouting plant and it would mean that what is being shipped is a lot lighter um when we did our local yorkshire yarn we started off with 270 kilos of fleece and by the time it had been scoured we'd lost almost half of that so just in terms of cutting down in bulk and weight not having to ship stuff to have it scoured is huge. So it's, I suppose it's one of these things, until you start digging into it, you don't know. And until people know to ask questions, they're buying things that probably they wouldn't support if they knew what was going on. But because that information gets covered up, it's, it's not easy to know. So you've got to be prepared, I think, to go and ask questions and say, where did it come from and where did all the bits come from? Having said that, I think the wool industry in the whole is it's a lot more open than a lot of things. You know, I see clothes and, you know, literally somebody has sewn a button on it and it's made in the UK and it's mass produced in a factory in China. And that's really offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think the more people know to ask questions, the more people will end up with with what they expect and what they think they're getting. And if that's not British yarn, that's completely cool. Loads of places make amazing yarns. Mm. So it's not saying no other wool is good and no other wool should be used. It's more saying we want to be really clear. And the best way for us to be clear is to say, if we sell it, it's from the UK. Yeah, and it's about that personal sort of um, attitude towards it, really, and what what you consider is important to you as a as a buyer because for me i i like the falklands i've been um and i I do consider it still british um 
And I'm happy for that. I would buy that wool knowing it's come that distance, knowing that they've not put pesticides on it and they've not dipped them because they don't need to. Um, and it's very nice and white and fluffy because they don't have much pollution. And that's the kind of thing that I'm, I'm looking for with that. Um, and I have far less of a problem with that. And I can feel, I can feel we're going to get a really good discussion out of this is then when people, like you say, are giving the impression that a product is British when it's made in Peru or it's made in China. Um, but they are giving the impression with their marketing that it is a British product by giving it a British name in the way that Tesco's do with the, you know, Woodland Farm or whatever. And it's not, it's not been, no, not been anywhere near a farm. It's a battery hen egg you know that the deception is the problem i think rather than it ideologically for me personally and it is something that people are getting more interested in and are spending more time finding out about these things and you've talked a lot about doing that research and figuring out where stuff is coming from and the backstory um but a lot of people listening probably don't know where to start with that so how did you get into that when you decided you were going to move away from these overseas spun yarns and move a lot closer to local stuff, UK-based stuff? Where did you start figuring, learning about all of this stuff and getting that information from? Um, we started asking them. We started asking the mills we were dealing with, and we were really, really lucky in that we had a good, good relationship with John Arbin. Mm-hmm. Um, who is lovely and who spins our bit sock and hopefully who will always spin our bit sock. But there is a good wool industry in Yorkshire mm-hmm. and things are local and stuff comes in from all over. But the thing that kind of really made me think about it was realising how far something had travelled to come back for no reason. Yeah, And that's why something like like you say you would buy Falkland yarn and I'd completely support that because there's so many good reasons to do it and I think because it's such a quality product you see it labelled as Falkland yarn Mm. and that's fab because if you buy Falkland wool you know what you're buying yes and that's great you know you've made that informed decision and as you say you know they don't dip the sheep there's very few pesticides and stuff used. It's a fantastic model. And it would be great to see more of that in the UK as well. So there's no one perfect thing. Mm-hmm. I think if you're buying yarn, you buy, I think your first line is speak to the person who, made, who dyed it. So go and ask the person who stood there behind a stall, where did it come from? And if they don't know, that would ring alarm bells to me because there is a lot of crap out there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, then the odds are your yarn could have come from anywhere. You know, we get daily emails from people in China going, oh, we have all this amazing stuff. Please buy it. That's not yarn that I want anything to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's a welfare issue. You know, I think Animal welfare matters. Things should be treated well. And if you're buying something at ultra cheap prices from the other side of the world, you don't have that comfort. Whereas the UK farming industry isn't perfect, but there are standards in place. And the same with Falkland Wool. Again, there are standards in place to protect those animals. So I would say go and speak to the people or ask them online. 
people who care about where their stuff from will be delighted to bore you to death on the subject, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, and people who don't know, I think it's probably time that we all took a bit more responsibility and we actually cared about what we were putting into dye pots and selling to people. Yeah, I agree with you there. And and we've kind of touched on two different subjects when we've got into it. And it feels like we've got quite serious for this podcast because normally we, we you know, I, I do like to mess around and, and have a joke. But I think this is it's something that's kind of brushed under the carpet a little bit sometimes. And like I say, I have a big problem with brands who give give the impression that they are it is British stuff when it is it's never been anywhere near Britain. No, and they, they do it in the wool industry and you don't have to look too far from some of the really popular brands out there right now commercial brands who were, set, who were given the impression that their stuff is British when it's not and I do have an issue with that um, certainly and I know a lot of people have issues with Mules to Merino and, and, and whether it's been done ethically or not and the requirements around it and all that kind of stuff and you can get yarn that is, is from certified non-mule stock and you can if you ask the questions like you said, I think there's a bit more responsibility needs to go on to the sellers as well in terms of them asking that question and not it not just be about the lowest common denominator and getting in and going, well, actually, can can you tell me where this has come from? Yeah, I think if if you're an absolutely tiny hand dyer, you're kind of stuck with what mills will make available for you to buy. Mm. But equally, there's a lot of good British wool out there that you can find without doing a huge amount of sorting round. Um, so it's, you know, you're not hunting for the holy grail in trying to find something that, you know, the mill that spun it will tell you where it is. You know, we'd just come back from Yarndale and we'd five or six different suppliers spoke to us about supplying yarn to us. Mm. Quite a few of them spin out in Italy yeah. which is a fantastic yarn industry and do amazingly good quality yarns. And I wouldn't see Italian spun yarn as a bad thing. It's just not what we've chosen to do. Mm. But they're completely upfront about this is where it's done. So I think ask your dyer and if your dyer doesn't go, no, get your dyer to speak to the people they buy their yarn from because they will know. Yeah, definitely. And it's not and like you've rightly brought back again there and you are very pro-British because that's that's what you've moved towards and that's that's what you're about now. And, and that's your focus for your business is to have that local element and have that particular manufacturing base. That's really important to you. And it's not about vilifying anyone else and saying anyone else's stuff isn't as good and you shouldn't do it like you've said there you know you can get beautiful italian spun yarns that, and they can probably spin yarns they can't spin in the uk yet because they don't have the machinery they can spin different things and um, but it's about knowing that and saying well this is where it's from that's where it comes from this is where the fleece is from and having that information there that and making that informed decision that well i really like this yarn and i'm happy with italian yarn, spun yarn i'm going to buy it as opposed to them giving you the impression that it's something it's not they're two completely different things yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, you've touched on the whole marketing thing and how it's very easy to pretend that something is British. And brands are pretending something is British because it has value. Yes. And it will only continue to have value if this only the stuff that is properly British is allowed to be called British. So calling bullshit on it when it's not is a, is a good thing. And the more people ask questions and find out 
you know, it's British because somebody in a factory in the UK put a label on it. The more that will stop. Because people who buy yarn are smart, clever people who know what they want. Mm -hmm. And given the information, they'll make smart, good choices. And those smart, good choices will protect the British wool industry. And they will protect the wool industry as a whole because it rips out the rubbish that is getting passed off as something else. Yeah. So terribly serious. You are, you're very serious, because you're not. We had a conversation before this where we were joking and messing around. Um, and I know you're not, but I know you. the thing is, is it's not just a serious thing. You are very passionate about this. You are. It is a core facet of what you are doing now um, and everything you're working towards. And I, to be honest, if you were flippant about it, I'd be a little bit surprised. So it's not it's it's not that it's not a bad thing at all and i think these these conversations are the kind of conversations that need to to happen it's all right fawning over something going oh it's so lovely and it's so soft and blah 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 without ever really touching on those things that are important to the the thinking knitter who's got opinions with a capital o and i think a lot of the listeners of this show they do have opinions with a capital o or at least i hope they do um by now so i think it's it's good yeah it's that kind of trying to make a difference in a way that's not being a good you know being a complete do-gooder and thinking oh I'm doing good by knitting hats for innocent juice bottles Mm -hmm. you know but although we we live in Harrogate which is a well-off area but we're right next to West Yorkshire Mm -hmm. which has a horrendous employment record it has massive amounts of social deprivation it has massive amounts of poverty and anything that we can do that supports that area is good yeah it's you know it's not saying i don't want to send stuff abroad because i object to foreign people it completely isn't but it's it's good for my local area if there are jobs here mm-hmm. and it's good if there are skills here and if i can do something that supports that then i'm in a really lucky position with this business that i can afford to say this is what I want to do. So it feels I should do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it is it is that aspect. People, I mean, people make decisions for all different kinds of reasons, you know. Um, and, and that obviously is important to you. And that will bring people to you who also share those ideals because you're very upfront about it and you share it. And, um, and that is marketing as well. That is marketing as well. If we're going to, if we're going to go into the business aspect, it is, it is marketing because that you're telling people this is what we stand for. These are our brand values. This is what's important to us. Um, but you're not kidding anyone with that. You're like, I'm not saying this is horrible, but this is what we give. This is what we use. We do it for these reasons. Um, and this is what you get from us. It's, it's very straightforward. That is, you know, that's not kidding anyone um, about what you're about, which I think is a really good thing. And I think everyone moving towards that kind of thing about being more open and raising awareness of where, you know, what your labeling means and where it comes from, um, is really good. And Louise, our friend Louise, um, Scully at Knit British is, is, that's a big part of what she talks about, about knowing that and, and educating yourself about all the different parts of it. So you can make an informed choice. It's not saying don't use it because you're a terrible person. It's like, well, just so you know, this is what happens. And then you can make a choice about whether you're down with that or not. You know, it's, it's different for everyone. Um, but I think we're in a far better position now than we were a couple of years ago where things were being just passed off. And you thought if it was a British dyer, it was British wool. Yeah, That's not the case. absolutely. <laughs> there is so much more British wool out there now. And it's interesting. We are struggling at the minute 
with our Brit sock yarn that John Arban spins for this because they're so busy. Mm-hmm. We've just, just before Yarndale, we had a 50 kilo batch of it delivered and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Beyond, beyond what I need to dye up the November sock club, that batch is finished. And my next batch doesn't arrive until January. And I can plead and they'll, you know, they will push it through for me as fast as they can. But they are busy. And part of that busyness is that loads of people now are starting to get their own yarn spun. You know, like Rachel Atkinson doing the Daughter of a Shepherd yarn, mm. which is brilliant because it's taken a fleece that you wouldn't automatically think that hand dyers and that hand knitters would go for and making something really amazing out of it. And that's fantastic, but that needs local mills to do it. And there are loads of small producers now doing that. And it's fab. It's really, really good. It is good to have that that diversity of things as well. And again, that is something that's happened quite recently in the last kind of three, maybe maybe three to four years, certainly, um, that that has become more of a, a thing really with the th- like it's a thing with a capital T that people will consider those and it's not just your ordinary merinos and that's that's your lot you've you know you've got the BFL of, of as common has become really popular and then you're getting all these other breed yarns coming in and people blending breed yarns and making new stuff and like you say taking that waste fleece that was going to be burned or thrown away and making it into something that people are now willing to try and actually love you know the the actively going for it and actively trying to find new sheep breeds to try and new new yarns to try which i just don't think was was if it was a thing i missed it like, let's just put it like that i think it used to be really really niche and it was it was kind of really worthy you know you sort of imagine that the kind of person that would be doing it would be you know have you know birkenstock sandals and a hairy sweater which is a terrible generalization but it was a sort of people did it without thinking that they could have a really amazing product at the end of it. Mm. And there are so many really interesting British wools now. Um, I spoke to loads of people at Yarndale who were there selling and who came up to show us things that they had. Um, like Kath, who's taken over that Wensleydale Long Wool, mm-hmm. who's doing pure Wensleydale yarn which is gorgeous stuff. Um, and who else? Ooh, the girl from the Dalton Borders flock mm-hmm. who've just okay. had stuff spun. And that's interesting. And you think, even when Yarndale started four or five years back, I would suspect that 80-90% of the dyers who were there were buying from the same couple of suppliers. Yes. And yes. there wasn't a lot of British wool. Agreed. And it's fantastic how much that's moved on and improved and I think it has improved because I think it's made us all ask questions and those questions mean we actually know what we're getting it's it's that kind of you know it actually is what it says on the tin kind of thing rather than well I'm hoping it's you know I'm hoping it's not too awful yeah and I mean for some people you know kind of taking it from the other the other tack it's for some people the provenance of the wall it is less of a concern than the price point or less of a concern than the colour or less of a concern of whatever is their priority. And that's fine. That, you know, that I ain't got a problem with that. But it is good to see things open up 
as a result of all this questioning and people becoming more interested in it to give us all more choice because that's what it is it's, it's giving us all more choice because the market is becoming more viable for things that are a little bit different um, and like you say it's almost like the when you talk about the Birkenstocks and I nearly I was expecting you to talk about beards um, but it's like the craft beer when, <laughs> at one point yeah. not that long ago craft beer was for, for people who wore Birkenstocks and weird jumpers and beards and real ale was for them and now it's not real ale anymore it's craft beer and it's super trendy yeah, and it almost feels like wool is going through that sort of um, iteration with itself, and it's becoming super trendy to be the Birkenstock wearing bearded knitter. I will work in my beard. I, I will in my beard. Maybe I could knit knitters. one. <laughs> it's interesting though because the, the price thing hugely matters, and I get that not everybody has a hundred pounds to spend on a jumper's worth of hand dye yarn, mm. but. The you know, West Yorkshire spinners who've just brought out croft yarn, that's a really affordable way to work with British wool. And is it new Lanark mills? Yeah. Again, there's affordable stuff out there. But when you're paying for somebody's skills as a hand dyer, you're paying for an artisan product. And that should have a price attached to it. And I think there's more and more acceptance that, you know, there are things that are worth paying for. And it's good that there, you know, that there are bits at both ends. You know, it's like I always think there will be a market for baby acrylic because people will always want to knit baby clothes and babies will always puke and everything. Mm-hmm. And acrylic is a good thing for that. But it's not the right thing for everybody. And more cho- more choice is good and choice at different price points is really good absolutely and it's about matching that yarn um to the products and i think i think new lanark as i've seen them under fire quite a bit because i think they give the impression that the yarn is more british than it is they do definitely import some definitely um, and i think some of it is to do with what they can actually spin on the victorian machinery yeah um, again, which is fine as long as you said that. Nobody gives a monkeys, do they? If they're like, well, and I know like Nakandu don't. They use some local wool now, but previously they were always using Norwegian Dala because it was Victorian machinery and they couldn't spin local wool on that machinery. They weren't they weren't able to do it, which is fair enough because you're, you're trading one off against the other. It's like, do you want that machinery that is traditional and has been there for hundreds of years, or do you want? the most local wool but you've got to ship in a machine that can deal with it which then kind of ruins the whole the whole thing it's a, again it's about that label and it's about that that um transparency and i'm i mean i'm famously a fan of eyelash yarn despite my cupboard being completely full of hand dyed yarn beautiful stuff um i'm famously a fan of it because there's a, there's there is something for everyone and, and there's a use for it even though people might think there is no use for eyelash yarn there still is what is the use of eyelash yarn Tell me. You could knit some hairy bollocks with it. Oh, roll <laughs> that off the top of my tongue there. Look, one idea straight away there. They're, they're it, like, you know, it's, it's for texture, for different things. Sometimes it's just to be funny. And I think, you know, if you have yarn that's purely there to be funny, that is a valid use of yarn. Of course it is. Totally is. But, you know, that, th- th- there are. Um, but some people are like, oh, I'm not touching that. You know, it's terrible. Um, but I, I love it. I love all yarn. I do, I do love all yarn. Um, as long as it's labelled as what it is. I think is I think is I think as well some of the really synthetic yarns when you actually look at how they're produced mm. ethically they're not bad you know somebody hasn't been put through terrible working conditions 
to make that stuff. And it, there's no, you know, there's no one perfect thing that, you know, is ethically sound on every level. You know, one of the things we're doing loads of now is screen printing. Mm-hmm. And we screen print a lot onto bags that I buy ready-made. Um, and we've found a supplier who has a factory out in India and they work with Fairtrade Organic Cotton. So we're shipping stuff in from India. You, know, you, can't, you can't really grow cotton in the UK, although I could get it produced here. But it would make a product that was so incredibly expensive that it wouldn't work because the cotton mills here are doing absolute top end luxury things. Mm. But what we can make sure is that we buy from a factory that has good working conditions, that has an education programme for the workers' kids. You know, we can buy from somewhere that actually supplies some really big guys who will go out and check. I can't go and audit a factory in India, but I know if I buy from a supplier that the body shop use that they will have gone and looked at it. And when you look at the websites, you can actually track that back. And there's loads of openness about it. And it has bothered nobody that our bags come from India. Or if it's bothered them, they haven't told me. But we were really upfront about where it's from. And I think it's that it's that openness that when you you start making it really obvious that you've made decisions and maybe they're not perfect, but they're as good as you can do. People will live with that really happily and it, it's good for businesses. Yeah, I agree with that, certainly, is that the, the transparency breeds trust as well because you don't feel like anyone's trying to hide anything. You, you're talking about the reasons why you've done something and people can, can see that and understand it better. Just yeah, absolutely. Commercial. No, I think... No, I think then you you know you buy something and you're happy with it, rather than buying something and get it home and then thinking, oh, actually, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have touched this. I was thinking you know, it's like people who shop in Primark, and I am I'm not a Primark fan, but I think if you know if that's your market, know you know know what they're doing, know how they operate, and if you're happy with that, go for it. But. If you buy ultra cheap stuff, somebody has paid for it and it's it's not you. And yeah, I think that's a bit unnecessary. Sorry, Primark. Yeah, it is. It's that, you know, again, it comes down to priorities and stuff and, and, and knowing about what why things are priced the way they are and what has to happen for that to be a thing. Um, certainly. So I'm going to take you down a different path now. Okay. Um, and I want to talk about your new yarn that I haven't seen yet because I didn't go to Yarndale. Uh-huh. I didn't go. I went to, the, I went to a caravan, in my caravan in, in North Wales instead, in the rain. Right, <laughs> go to Yarndale. It wasn't you for have... any particularly, you know, noble reason. I just did. Um, so, well, I, and I didn't look on social media because I didn't want to see. But I know you did have a new yarn and, and something that I'm very interested in. I've talked about these sorts of yarns before um, because... <coughs> personally for me I love a story behind a yarn that's my thing is that I want to know the story behind it and you now have a new yarn and I would love to hear the story behind that too okay well our brand new yarn is called one farm yarn because all of the fleece in it comes from one farm that one farm is just up the road from us it's actually still in Harrogate Um, and we met the girl who did this a couple of years ago when we did 
a yarn from two separate flocks. Mm. Um, had that spun, it went really well. And when we wanted to repeat it this year, we found that one of the flocks, the fleece from them wasn't available. So we'd ended up going back to Becky, who runs the wonderfully named Rigmore Reindeer. Um, so as well as having sheep, they go out and do a lot of educational stuff in schools. So they go and show all these inner city kids that don't know what a sheep looks like, what a sheep is and what an alpaca is. And they're a delight to go and visit because they have pygmy goats who are just the cutest thing in the world. And when we went back to her and said, have you got anything else that we could put in this to go with your blue face? She said, well, we've got North Country Mule. And I looked it up online and read the words carpet yarn and thought, <laughs> not terribly sure about this. So we took ourselves off to the farm to see her and we ducked past the turkey who was wandering about because it's that kind of place. And it was the most gorgeous fleece. It's one of these blends that you get the length and the shine on. The staple length on it was incredible, which means that we we could have it spun fairly softly and it would still hold together. So we managed to source all of our fleece from a very local farm. Becky's husband kindly dropped it off at the Scowthers for this. Because it was such a small amount, I mean, I thought 270 kilos of fleece was quite a lot of fleece. And the very nice man at the Scowthers very rapidly abused me of that notion and said that, yeah, if we put a thousand at the end of that, that would be a lot of fleece. You think, OK, that would be a huge amount of fleece. Um, and because it was such a small amount, they actually couldn't comb it from us. So it went to another local place in Bradford, which has got old machinery. From there, it went to Laxton's, who spun it for us. And then Laxton's actually brought it over to me. So by the time it had done that whole thing from coming off the sheep to landing in our dye pots, it had done 72 miles. I love that. Yeah, we got it to Yarndale and onto the stand, having done 95 miles. That is brilliant, at the Sub 100 Club. It is. And we can only, we're incredibly lucky because we are local, you know, we're local to our scouter, we're local to our mill. And not everybody has that. But I want, to, I want to be able to keep doing things like that. And the beauty of dealing with Becky for this direct was the day she delivered the fleece to the Scowthers, we paid her for the fleece. The previous year, she sold her yarn direct to the people who were spinning it. And she got paid eight months later. Yeah. It, you know. In terms of what it costs to make the yarn, the cost of the fleece wasn't the biggest part of it by a long way. But she is running on an absolute shoestring. And having that money now and not in six months time makes a big difference. And it's it's bits like that that you know, we're not a big business, but we can afford to pay our bills and we should pay our bills immediately and on time because it makes other people's lives so much easier so that was our kind of the whole thing was we wanted to do something really really local um and the guys at Laxton's who did my spinning for me have been fantastic you know every time I've rung them up and gone the scouters are asking me this and you know, they sent me a questionnaire to fill in to send with the fleece 
And about the only question I could answer is, what is your name? <laughs> it was bad. And, it was like, and they were lovely and they were really helpful. And I would ring Richard at Laxton and say, what does this mean? And he would very patiently explain it all to me. And you know, the, the promise is that when we do it again next year, I will remember those answers and I won't be quite such a pest. <laughs> but they do a lot of local things. And I think it's been a fun project for them. But yeah, I have to say, when that first batch of yarn came out the back of the car, part of me was thinking, oh God, I hope this is okay. Mm-hmm. Because the terrifying thing about doing a custom yarn is you don't know what you're getting until you open that box. And by then, it's all spun. So if it's not right, it's not right. You can't undo it. Or if the fleece that's gone in hasn't been as good as you thought, you can't undo it. Or if the car just messed it up, you can't undo it. And you can't you can't do teeny batches and check that everything's okay. You have to cross your fingers and go for that. Yeah, that sounds quite crazy. But it's not that that isn't the first one you've done either, is it? Just like taking what you said there about this process, because like we've talked about it before, people are getting more into these custom spins and doing things that are a little bit different and that are bespoke to them as a company. There's quite a few of them around now. And you've you there just alluded to one of the, one of the issues is that you don't really know what you're going to get. But where do you start with that? Like if you're like, I want to make my own yarn, I'm going to spin some stuff together, and I need to pick what's going to go in it. Where where do you start? Do they do they advise you? Do they help you at the mill? What what is that process all about? Okay, we when we did our sort of local yarn the year before we started off with some Paul Dorset fleece because somebody had been in touch about those um and through that we met our friend Claire and she had these sheep because they had been her dad's sheep and he got ill and one of the things he asked her to do was keep the flock going until it'd been going for 30 years and when they originally got these sheep Claire these sheep Claire's mum was pregnant with Claire so there's this whole history with this yarn and we had to do something with it. So we used blacker to get that spun, but they sourced the blue face that went into it and they made most of the spinning decisions. Mm. And we ended up with a nice yarn. But I knew that I wanted to do something that was more local. And we would have used the Paul Dorset again, but the Fleece of Clare's flock wasn't available. But yeah, it was basically having Laxton's on our side was the thing that let us get this done. Because really, we were so tiny that you know we were a nuisance to the Scouthers, quite honestly. And I think if Laxton's hadn't been able to say to them, yeah, we have dealt with her, she knows, you know, she knows what she's doing. I don't know that they would touch the job for us because it was small. When the Scouthers couldn't card it because it was too little, they knew who to send me to. But because they put so many yarns together, they're fantastic people to speak to and say, I want a yarn that has these kind of qualities. I want it to be a sock yarn or I want it to have loads of bounce. And they're brilliant about knowing what what to add and how to spin it. Because as anybody who's ever spun will tell you, you can make the most god-awful yarn out of the most beautiful fibre if you spin it the wrong way. 
So having somebody who really understands that process is amazing. And there's loads and loads of experience in laxatives. When you speak to them, several of them have worked all over the place. So, yeah, what they don't know about wool isn't really worth knowing. And you know, the same with John Arbin down, down in Devon. They know what they're doing. And if you ask and listen to what they tell you, they'll keep you right. Because I bet, well, I mean, I'm quite nosy. I love to know the answer to these things. And I know, obviously, from working with people, I do know quite a lot of it. But I think it's interesting for for the people who are getting into this kind of yarn now and thinking about all of this, to to hear that backstory of, of how you come to develop a yarn from scratch to that they can then buy once it's been dyed and prepared, if it's going to be a dyed yarn, obviously. Yeah. Um, and how it all happens, really. One of the things we're looking at putting together at the minute is a sock yarn that's got no nylon in it, mm-hmm. um, because that's becoming something that people are more conscious of, that they don't necessarily want the nylon. So we knew we wanted to do something with mohair, and that was literally a case of speaking to Laxton's and saying, this is what I want. How much mohair do I need? What kind of mohair do I need? Because there's no point in putting beautiful kid mohair in socks. Mm-hmm. So what we apparently need is young goat. And they have found the young goat for me. I'm terribly pleased about that. But they've got the expertise. They're doing different things to know really quickly. This is what will work. Um, And they've just got a new, what they call, I think, a sample setup, um, which instead of doing 200 things at once, does 30 odd so it can spin, spin smaller batches. So I think it means that we've got the opportunity to do more more one-off things and kind of try them. Yeah, which is, it, it, again, it just opens up all those opportunities for more new stuff, which is, is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. All of the new things. Yes, we do We do love a new thing. We do love a new thing. Um, so, speaking of new things, obviously you've got your one farm yarn, which is new, and you've alluded there that there might be some more new stuff coming. With, with the mohair, and you know I love a bit of mohair. It's famously known that I do like a bit of mohair. Um, so what? when can we sort of expect to see that sock yarn coming out? And what sort of things have you got coming over the next couple of months for us to look out for? Okay, the mohair yarn should be with us start to mid-December, which probably means that we'll have it in the shop in January. So that seems quite a new, a nice thing to sort of think, bring in the new year with. We are spinning that as quite a small test batch of about 40 kilos so that we can tweak it. Because with a sock yarn, the twist has got to be absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm completely confident that laxons are going to get it right first time. But it means that if it's not perfect, it can go, you know, we, we've got something that's good but we'll know how to make it perfect next time round. At this point, Joy talks about an awesome sounding advent calendar that she had up for sale last year that was going to be on sale, but obviously it will have sold out because we're past advent now. And I know we're nearly into advent again, but, you know, I don't want to give you massive FOMO. Maybe she might do it again, maybe she might not, but I didn't want you to get that. So there's a little bit of a kind of hard edit here where... I've cut that bit out just because nobody wants to feel like they've missed out on everything. Least of all me. So, yeah. 
There we are. I will put all the links for everything in the show notes. But the best way to find out about the advent calendar, I would suggest is get on your mailing list. I know this because I've been on it for about five years. <laughs> um, so you can go over to Joy's website, which is Joy? www.thenittinggoddess.co.uk Epic. Get yourself over there, sign up for the newsletter, then you're not going to miss anything. Don't deprive yourself, just get on the newsletter. Joy's very good about sending out all of the um, enabling the day before or the week before so that you can just chore yourself a little bit over it and make sure you're ready to get get involved um, and you can find everything else about Joy obviously over there as well and you're on social media Joy? I am and you're going to ask me what everything is and I'm going to be completely blank about it while I look it up and see who I am. Right on Instagram I am the knitting goddess and I probably post more on there than anywhere else because what we do is either all bright colours or lots of screen printing. Um, and I'm on Twitter as, as Knitting Goddess. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I'm on there and I'm on Facebook, but I never use it. So please don't contact me on Facebook. So get yourself over to Instagram then, because that's going to have the best pictures, essentially. Yes. And follow Joy over there. I'll put some links in the show notes, so don't stress too much if you can't find her. Um, but I'm sure you will. It won't be a big issue at all. Lovely. Well, Joy, thank you so much for such a fun and, albeit at times serious, um, a really nice, intelligent conversation about about wool and where it comes from. It's been really, really good fun talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. And now I'm off to knit a beard. I love that. (laughs) So how was that? What did you think? Did you enjoy that conversation? I hope very much that you did and that you enjoyed listening to us talk about it and maybe had a few thoughts yourself about labelling and where your yarn comes from and what choices you make when it comes to your knitting. Do let me know what you think. If you've enjoyed it, give me a quick email, info at shinybees.com or you can get me on any of the social media uh, as at shinybees and I am excited as well. So if you've heard everything that Joy had to say there and you want to go and get involved and try some of Joy's yarn, try maybe the single farm yarns or some of the other yarns that were talked about, then I have a cheeky little discount for you. So the discount code is SHINYBEES10, all capital letters, and that will give you 10% off everything online. So the code is SHINYBEES10. And you need to get in there, go and check out the latest update and make sure you get involved. I know she has a lot of self-striping yarns going up, including some limited edition yarn uh, inspired by Louise of Knit British, of all people, and uh, Tunnock's Caramel Biscuits. So I knew there was a reason that I love Louise and we bonded over our, our love of Tunnock's, definitely. But there's loads of great stuff in the shop for you to go check out and you can get 10% off just for listeners with the code SHINYBEES10. Now, what I forgot to tell you was, because I was too excited, (laughs) was that that code is valid until the 17th of September 2018, and you can only use one code per order. So, that's all we have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show as much as I've enjoyed putting it together and having this conversation with Joy. I hope you will have a great week, happy crafting, and I will speak to you all again soon. Cheers!
listening to the Shiny Bees podcast. Full show notes for this episode are available on the website at shinybees.com forward slash 118. Music for this episode is kindly provided with permission from Adam and the Walter Boys with I, I Need a Drink. You can find that on iTunes or purchase links in the show notes. I need a friend, I need your help, I want to smile again.